Quality sleep is essential, and that's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. So you can choose what's right for you whenever you like. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature. Quiets their snores. Sleep Number does that. Sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on Sleep Number limited edition smart beds for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com slash awards. Only at Sleep Number stores or sleepnumber.com. That vote is a suggestion of hard times to come for President Biden. John, thank you very much. I'm Chris Cuomo, and welcome to Primetime. First, we have breaking news tonight. An autopsy has confirmed that the body found by the FBI is indeed 22-year-old Gabby Petito. And someone definitely killed her. The coroner ruled out natural causes or suicide and ruled the death a homicide. First, my sympathies to the Petito family. I know they have had 10 days of desperation since reporting their 22-year-old missing. And now there are two big questions that must be answered. How did Gabby die? And what does that and all the other circumstantial evidence tell us about who killed her? Tonight, we have all the best clues the FBI is working with, as well as the biggest unknown. Where is Gabby's fiance, Brian Laundrie? The FBI now asking for the public to help and still no help from his family. But first, we got to talk politics. We are in a real political pressure point. Do you realize how precarious a position the president is in, not with the big lie, not with people who want to steal the election, not with people trying to convince people that it's freedom to not take the vaccine, his own party. Tonight's vote on moving the debt ceiling, that's just a stray shot. The real risk, the real risk is that the Democrats may hand power back to the Trumpers. How? These internal divisions are real and really threatening Biden's agenda. It may not get done. Pelosi pushing the 27th as a drop dead date for a spending bill that has no agreement only makes things worse. The House is voting on legislation that could help avert a government shutdown, right? The division, though, within the party is the problem, and it's real. The center-left, the moderate Democrats, are increasingly at odds with what the progressives want, which is what President Biden, that's his starting point. So he's with the farther left on his spending bill. It's very aggressive. The center-left, where he used to be, and the moderates, they really don't want it. And they're starting to almost sound like they're from different parties. Here's the problem. If the Senate, the Democrats there, if they won't give on the reconciliation price tag in a way that appeases the far left slash left slash the president, and the response from them, from the fringe, is to stall the infrastructure bill that's been agreed on in the Senate, President Joseph Biden could literally go O for two. You stave off the big lie. You stave off an insurrection. You beat the most poisonous president in a generation only to have your own party leave you vulnerable? Are you serious? We have a master Democrat Clinton strategist with us tonight to handicap the outcomes here. 
And we have a real player on the Democrat side to see how deep the trouble is. That's Jamie Raskin. Now, he's also on the January 6th committee, and they got some more evidence to work with today. And this also feeds in to the outlined problem above of what Biden is facing. Because there is now more proof that Biden can't afford to have his own party infighting when they have a real enemy on the other side. How real? Enough to try to take down the democracy. Bold statement. Backed by proof. Tonight, we have proof that the people still on power in the right, pushing the new big lie, right, which is about how, hey, you got freedom. You don't have to take the vaccine just because it's good for you. you know? They really did have a plan to steal the election with Trump's big lie about fraud. Do you remember this? What we are really dealing with here and uncovering more by the day is the massive influence of communist money through Venezuela, Cuba, and likely China in the interference with our elections here in the United States at the direction of Hugo Chavez. All you had to do is go online and find out that Smartmatic is owned by Venezuelans close to Chavez. There's nobody here that engages in fantasies. The BS literally dripping down Mr. Giuliani's face. Now, it turns out this was not just these two freelancing fraudulently. This was part of a plan. We're now learning by the time of that news conference on November 19, the Trump campaign had already prepared an internal memo on those baseless claims about voting machines. And they wanted to get energy from the rank and file to support this. This comes according to court documents obtained by the New York Times. We also learned that staffers determined that what was being cooked up had zero merit. So what does that tell us? Team Trump, new Team Trump, was full of it and still went full steam ahead to overthrow our democracy and got buy-in from many of the people who are still in positions of leadership. In fact, almost all of them right now. Now, Powell's defense, Sidney Powell, who you saw there, it makes more sense now that you know that. The defense was no reasonable person could believe what she says. Now, that makes sense because she and her lawyers know that Trump's own staffers thought it was ridiculous. So why wouldn't everybody else? Giuliani and Powell have both been sued by Dominion and Smartmatic for defamation. Let's see if this tried and true Trumper type defense saves them. Now, I call it that not to be pejorative, but to point out a pattern with big mouths on the right shouting that everything they don't like is fake, only to then beg courts to see that they were clearly fake themselves. So if they get sued, they can't be trying to defame anybody. You're not supposed to take them seriously. Powell did it. Alex Jones, remember? He said he was only acting when he was held to account for his behavior in court. Fox's Tucker Carlson. What did his lawyers argue? Oh, no, no, no. He can't uh, be slandering you. He's not to be seen as credible. That's their basic argument. Now, of course, their audiences and people on the right, they don't get this. But the reasonable do. And that's what Joe Biden should be worried about. 
not his own party. So we have questions. First, these lies and the depth of them that keep coming out from the right of what they wanted to do to the the democracy. Will there be accountability? And the other big question is, are Democrats going to make their own luck or their own downfall? We have a guest to answer both of those questions. Chairman of the January 6th committee, the former lead impeachment manager of Trump impeachment number two, Democrat Congressman Jamie Raskin. Good to see you, sir. And it's great to be with you, Chris. I'm actually not the chairman of the committee. That's Benny Thompson, but I'm a proud member of it. Wait, you're not Benny Thompson? No, I'm sorry. You're right. Thank you very much, uh, Jamie. And I hope you uh, had an easy fast. and I hope the family is well. Um, let's talk about these things and tell Benny I said sorry. I'll have to tell him myself. The, no problem. The and two- our vice chair. Yes. And thank you for that as well. The stakes are this. On the accountability side, what do you think the chance is that the outcome of your efforts and the committee's efforts will be anything more than what we've seen in the past when it comes to try to hold Trump and his people to account? Well, let's see. But let's start with the the trials. I mean, um, in the second impeachment trial, we had concurrent, robust, bipartisan majorities in the House and Senate declaring as a legislative and constitutional fact that Trump incited a violent insurrection against the union. It's true he beat the constitutional spread of two-thirds, so he wasn't convicted, but you had an overwhelming majority of members of both the House and the Senate declaring that he did it. And so we established that, but that's just about one guy. What we're working on now in the select committee is trying to determine what was the pattern of relationships among the Trump entourage and all of his political flunkies like Roger Stone and Steve Bannon with the Oath Keepers, the Three Percenters, the Aryan Nations, and the other violent extremist groups who were mobilized there as an insurrection to surround the political coup. And we usually think of coups as something taking place against a president. This was a coup orchestrated by the president against the vice president, which is why they were chanting hang hang Mike Pence and trying to get him to reject electoral college votes, exercising a power he obviously doesn't have. So because you have more players and permutations, you have more possibilities in terms of accountability. Fine. Is it true that subpoenas may start going out next week? Um, The chairman has said that subpoenas are going to be going out very soon, and I think that's uh, probably not unrealistic to expect it. Um, But understand that we have tons of people coming forward. We've got a great tip line. Um, Most Americans understand it's not only a civic duty to testify about uh, people who participated in a criminal attack on the Congress, but it's an honor and a privilege to do so. And we also have tons of information from the social media and what people were posting on Facebook, on Twitter, and so on. So, you know, there, there might be some politicians out there who think that they're really clever and they're going to be able to destroy the evidence. They should think again, because uh, we have lots of what we need to begin to put this story together about what really took place on January the 6th. Well, and look, I mean, there's more and more proof coming out. I mean, even just these memos uh, that have been revealed show uh, what we used to call in the law, scienter. Right. There was malice aforethought in terms of planning about things they knew were fraudulent and trying to get them done. All right. So now we shift to the other side of the ball, uh, which is the straight politics of this situation. What I'm outlining here about what I see and hear about going on in your party, how worried are you that the president may not get an infrastructure bill and may not get a spending bill because your party cannot come together? 
Well, <clears throat> I haven't been spending all my time on it, but I got to tell you, I'm not worried uh, about the final analysis. I think in the final analysis, everyone is going to come around and get behind President Joe Biden, who represents the progressive mainstream, not just of the Democratic Party, but of America. And he is really the perfect president for this moment. And so, you know, the progressives are saying, rightfully so, we don't want half of the Biden program. We want the full Biden program. Um, and yet, you know, President Biden, I think, understands that there may have to be trims taken in here or there in terms of the the program. Hey, that, I mean, that's in the nature of products. That's in the nature of life. You know, people make it's like deals a 50 percent haircut on the Senate side, Jamie. It's not a yeah, I, it's not a trim. Right. And, you know, the, the point we want to make is that the the original number that we started with was was a number which was already a compromise. And we needed to invest in the working families of America to invest in daycare for working families to make that child tax credit permanent. We've just got to remind people of the substance of what's going on here. This is a once in a generation opportunity to make the extraordinary investments in the American people that we need, that we've been waiting for. So look, I think Joe Biden is uh, a master politician. And I think in the final analysis, he's going to be able to bring everybody together. And the bottom line is that our constituents want us to find that moral center of gravity and move things forward. And so all of us have an obligation to remember just what you were pointing out, which is that democracy is in the balance here. I mean, we can't fool around with these people. They tried to overthrow the election in 2020. They tried to reinstall Donald Trump as president. So that's what we have to keep our eyes on. And whether we end up with three and a half trillion or 3.25 trillion or whatever, um, we're going to be able to rally around the president's leadership and our speaker's leadership on this. You think there's a chance, just quickly, uh, that Pelosi moves the date from the 27th? Um, again, I think all of the relevant actors would have to be in on that. Um, you know, she obviously had spoken to a bunch of members who were looking uh, for that date. At the same time, uh, you know, anything can be done by unanimous consent. Put it like that. A lot of Congress operates on that principle. So if you get everybody's, you know, together at the table, the bottom line is we want both of these pieces of legislation, both halves of um, the Biden program to be enacted here. And I think that's where the vast majority of the Democratic caucus is. In fact, I haven't spoken to a single member who doesn't want both of them to pass. Congressman Jamie Raskin, thank you very much. Member of the January 6th committee. Appreciate your input tonight. Thanks so much for having me. All right. Now, look, Jamie Raskin is an optimist, rightly so. Uh, for his party's sake, he's hoping he's right. Because if Democrats don't start getting on the same page, that agenda could be in real trouble. And if they don't have the deliverables, what happens in the midterm? The House Majority Leader, Steny Hoyer, said tonight he hopes Biden has the secret sauce to bring all factions of the party together. Does a veteran Democratic strategist see that happening? Does he know what the secret sauce is? He's a Cajun. Next. Tomorrow, President Biden is hosting a meeting with members of his party in an effort to get his domestic agenda back on track. In just six days, the House is set to vote on the bipartisan infrastructure bill. But so far, there's no deal between progressive and centrist Democrats on a larger budget bill. Well, why? Why? I thought it was about infrastructure. No. 
They want them linked. And that's a big part of the problem here. Do you really care which bill comes first? Do you care if they both come at the same time? No, right? The politicians do. Progressives say they won't vote on infrastructure alone. Biden obviously wants to pass both, so he's sitting down with both sides of his party. Can he get them on the same page? Let's get some perspective of what all this means for the Democrats' chances. James Carville, good to see you, sir. Thank you, Chris. What's the secret sauce? And do you think Biden has the secret sauce to mend fences? I know that's a mixed metaphor, but go with it. Well, <clears throat> right. <laughs> Benjamin Franklin said the secret sauce. We, 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 we surely hang together. If we don't, we hang separately. And, if, and I think every Democrat, every American needs to know what's at stake at this meeting tomorrow. And, you know, Ken Burns, who allegedly knows something about American history, says we're, we're 1941, 1861 territory here right now. So I, I think the president has got to do this. And I think the Democratic Party expects Democratic members of, of, of Congress to forge ahead and, you know, vote on something together, or vote for it first or vote for it second. But show the American people that you can do something, because if you don't, you're going to end up with 240 House Republicans and 55 Senate House uh, Senate Republicans. So. You know, the you know, country's at an infection point here, and people got to have some patriotism and some can-do attitude, I think. It's, it's bad. An inflection I'm, I'm, point and no an infection it. point. Here's what I don't get, James. Help me understand right. this. Thank you. They know they're up against probably the most politically poisonous and powerful opposition they faced, I think, in our lifetime, okay? Uh, they know that. They know the big lie was real. They know they'll double down on it. They see what they're willing to do when it comes to the vaccine and keeping people engaged in animus. And still, they decide to have this kind of fight about the one thing that can secure their power base. Well, they're going to have to step up. And I mean, President Biden, you know, he was elected. He's very experienced. He knows Congress very well. He has good relationships. And this is a critical meeting to have in, in, in the Oval Office. And look, <clears throat> already they want to have a bill to control, control prescription drug prices, which is enormously popular. Mm-hmm. A, a bill to raise taxes on incomes over a half a million dollars a year, which is enormously popular. And you have Democratic operatives working for hedge funds and pharmaceutical companies mm-hmm. running around Washington killing this stuff. Mm-hmm. Somebody needs to name these people, all right? Mm-hmm. They need to say, this guy professes to, or this woman professes to be a big Democrat and they're keeping drug prices high. They're keeping taxes low on wealthy people. I mean, it's, it's time to, to, to step up here because the country is in trouble and people are looking to get something done and they're enormously popular proposals we have that are just that, proposals that are sitting there and, and being killed by the, by the Washington lobbyists. And this has got to end and somebody's got to speak up to this. It, these are, are popular proposals. And of course, we've got to get some infrastructure thing. If you get... If you don't get nothing, you, you can imagine what it's going to be like in 2023. And you know, if you get 2.3 trillion, well, you, you get keep the House and get the 52 Democratic senators, then you can get another trillion. But the biggest event we got coming up is the election in 2022, and and to save the country because we know what happens going to happen when they get in there. Mm. It, it's going to be a catastrophe. You have a more sophisticated uh, sense of what the problem here is and what the holdup is than simply. Joe Manchin, because that's all you hear from the Democrats. Oh, it's Joe Manchin. Joe Manchin's the problem. But that's not true. Uh, Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez, 
said, I'm not voting for that infrastructure bill if we don't get the full amount of spending. You're not getting the full amount of spending. That seems pretty clear right now. So what does that mean? What do you say to that faction? Right. Well, I, I say we got Speaker Pelosi and President Biden. And, you know, Chris, a lot of times people will take a hard line right up to the point of negotiating. And, and you know, no one wants to walk into a negotiation, walk into a meeting, say, well, I'm willing to give up, you know, 35 percent of what I got. I think that that Congresswoman Cortez is a, is a patriotic person. I know I think Senator Manchin is a patriotic person. I think Senator Sinema is a patriotic person. And patriotism requires some sacrifice, requires giving something up for the larger good. I mean, no one's asking him to get shot at. We're just saying sit down and do. And, and these things are popular. It's not like you, you're taking an unpopular stand. The president's not asking you to do something that's unpopular. And, and he's popular in, 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 in progressive districts and he's popular in the Democratic Party. So, you know, we've got to be grownups here. This, is, this, this, could, be, this could end very poorly. And I, I'm not being, uh, uh, you know, overly negative here, pessimistic, but it, 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 it's a, tomorrow's a big day. And it'll take some wrangling, but I, I, you know, I think I think Speaker Pelosi is very, very skilled as a Senator Schumer, and they're going to have to land this airplane. And I, I'm not a legislative strategist, and I don't know how, but if they don't, I know politics, and it's going to be ugly, very ugly. Yeah, I mean, I and I don't understand that 27th date put up by Pelosi. I mean, it seems like you guys need more time, not less. But right. we'll see what happens, James. And I'd love to have you come thank back you. because yeah. there's nobody I'd rather listen to well, more about you, that party. Okay, well, thank you. That's very kind of him. Congressman Raskin was very good, and he was more optimistic than me. I hope he's right. <laughs> he is. I mean, he's a, you know he's a very sober guy. He believes in his party. Uh, I also yeah. think he's not yeah. really paying attention to it as much either. He knows that he'll vote to make it right. all he's happen. Kidding. He's worried about the other side, and he should be because that is an existential yeah. threat. That's he the part be. of this yeah. oh. that makes no sense. You dealt Ooh. with this in the Clinton years. It's not that you can't have problems within your no. party and find a way through it. You got people willing to go all in to beat you and they don't care what they break and what it means. And you still fight with yourself. Doesn't make sense. James, let me jump. Be well. Take care. Thank you. All right. Okay. Look, uh, let's go back to Gabby Petito. We're going to stay on this. And I I know that it's not a popular thing to do um, to kind of go at the Democrats and how they're doing it. I'm telling you right now, as things stand, they are their own worst enemy. And that's saying something when you've got these Trumpers and we have proof they were willing to submarine the democracy, to be quiet when people attack the Capitol, to still decertify the election even after they watch that. And you're going to mess around with yourselves? Crazy. Now, to Gabby Petito and something we can all be on the same page about. We know for sure the body found near Grand Teton this weekend was her. She was killed, was not natural causes. She did not kill herself. What does this mean for the investigation? There are key things that we need to know. The biggest is obviously, where is the fiance? The search intensified, but they don't know where he is. You're about to hear from someone who says she was with Brian Landry after Gabby was last heard from. Our best clues, next. Let's talk about Gabby Petito and let's talk about what we know. The newest information uh, is sad, but necessary to know for the investigation. An autopsy has confirmed 
with the body found two days ago in Wyoming is Gabby Petito. We're still waiting on details, and that will be important. Now, the coroner gave a preliminary finding that this is a homicide. That means death by person, meaning someone did it. Was it natural cause? Gabby didn't kill herself. But how she died has not been determined. That will be very important because it will shed light on what the circumstances may have been, maybe even what the motivations may have been. The idea that it was some random versus someone she knew maybe very, very well. The 22-year-old disappeared at some point in late August while on a trip exploring national parks with her fiancé, Brian Laundrie. On September 1, Laundrie returned to his Florida home in their white van without her and then vanished himself after an investigation into her disappearance began ramping up. Most notably, he did not help in that investigation. Neither did his family. It's been one week since he went missing. Police have been searching a vast and swampy nature reserve in Florida. No answers. More of what we do know about his final days out west is coming from witnesses. Specifically, a young woman named Miranda Baker. Now, she claims she picked up Brian Laundrie on a road in the same general area in Wyoming where uh, Gabby's body was later found on August 29th just days after their last video correspondence, uh, Gabby with her mother. When she picked up Brian, he was alone. And there's more to it. And here is Miranda Baker explaining in her own words. He approached us asking us for a ride because he needed to go to Jackson, which we were going to Jackson that night. So I said, you know, hop in. Um, He hops in the back of my Jeep. We then, you know, proceeded to make small talk. Um, But before he came in the car, he offered to pay us like $200 to give him a ride, like 10 miles. So that was kind of weird. He then told us he's been camping for multiple days without his fiance. He did say he had a fiance and that she was working on their social media page back at their van. Um, Then once like in conversation, I brought up, yep, like, we're going to Jackson. Um, he freaked out. He's like, nope, I need to get out right now. Um, you know, n- like, pull over. So this is where we picked him up. We picked him up in Coulter Bay, and we dropped him off um, by this dam. He was hitchhiking. There was no van. Gabby was not with him. It was just him. He said he was hiking along Snake River, which is up here, and it kind of, like, goes down a little bit. Um, and he said he was gone for multiple days, and he had left his fiance, never called her by her name, back at their campsite. He was gone for multiple days without her, and he was sleeping on a tarp. When we picked him up, he had a backpack, long sleeves, a hat on, and scruff. Um, he wasn't clean-shaved, and he had hiking boots on, but he didn't look dirty. The only thing dirty about him were his shoes. All right, now, police in Northport, Florida, confirmed to CNN that Baker spoke with the department before posting the videos on TikTok and that her account seems plausible to them. It would be a very weird set of circumstances. Now, Miranda says this encounter happened August 29 in the Tetons area. That's the right area. What about the date? Gabby's body was found Sunday. Every detail matters where he was, how he was, 
What was his demeanor? What was he saying? What was his story? Does it line up? Does it add to what investigators know so far, specifically about the timeline? Now, again, Laundry has not talked to police in the days um, since he came back. Hasn't happened. Neither has his family. He has not been charged with a crime. In fact, only now do we know that somebody killed Gabby. So now we know a crime was committed. Will he be charged? We don't know. The question is, where does it go from here? We have the perfect guest to discuss this with. Our brilliant legal mind. He's been through many of these investigations. Where do you need to go from here? Next. We now know that Gabby Petito is dead and that she didn't kill herself. She didn't die of natural causes. Somebody killed her. Her fiance is still nowhere to be found. So where do we go from here? Let's bring in top legal mind, former criminal defense attorney, Joey Jackson. Good to see you, brother. Always a pleasure, Chris. Now, how long Gabby Petito was out there uh, and no longer alive How much does that matter in terms of them uh, deciding cause of death? So everything matters, right? Any investigation, you're going to undertake a number of things like what? You want to know the where, what, when, how, why. All of those are significant. Some we know, some we don't. We know where it happened. The police have isolated that fact, right? Now that we have the where, when it happened, they've isolated to the extent that they think they have sort of the parameters of when it would have occurred. How it happened is yet to be determined. We're going to learn that as it relates to the autopsy report, right? And so the circumstances under which it happened, we don't yet know. But I think the police have an awful lot. At the end of the day, even in the event, right, and you have a body here, right, as tough as it is to say that, Chris, and that's going to give them a ton of clues with respect to exactly what occurred. What did he do? What was the cause of death, right? Perhaps isolating it down to, well, not to get graphic about it, so we'll skip that. But the bottom line here is that you look at everything there and then you look and assess his conduct. And what you find when you have the conduct is a lot of circumstantial evidence. A critical fact in this case is the fact that he ran why it, dem- it evidences consciousness of guilt. You could explain away the hitchhiking. Oh, he went somewhere. He was gone for a brief period of time. You could explain the indication that he was g- hiking alone, or at least so he said to Miss Baker, right? Okay, they separated for a little while. He was hiking alone. What you can't explain is where the guy is, why did he run, and why did he really feel that he needed to evade authorities? And those are going to be questions in the event he's brought back safely that everyone is going to want to know. If there's an innocent explanation, you stay and explain, you don't run and hide. Now, in terms of them not immediately being able to say uh, how Gabby was killed, uh, I am told by several different forensic experts that you and I both know uh, that that makes it very likely that it wasn't an obvious thing. It wasn't a gunshot to the head or, you know, or a massive chest wound uh, or a multiple stabbing, that it probably goes uh, to the categories of blunt force trauma uh, and ligature marks, meaning some form of strangulation, which are also uh, particular crimes of passion. And if it is something that is a more uh, relatable idea of passion, that starts to point at the fiance because it it, it suggests, well, who would have been that angry with her? Probably someone she knows. 
Yeah, I would agree with that. But I think at the end of the day, prosecutors are going to just focus the public not on splitting hairs. We can argue about whether it was strangulation. We could argue about whether it was blunt force trauma. We could argue about the specific circumstances surrounding her death. I think prosecutors are going to remind any jury in the event it gets that far of one thing. She's gone. Who was with her at the time? He was. How long were they together? Why were they documenting and recording everything that they were doing up until the point where they were not? Why did it come to the point where he left her, he goes home, she's not there. Why did it come to the point where he then leaves? And of course, they subsequent, when he didn't cooperate with the authorities, find the body. So we could talk about the the niceties or the indelicacies of the fact that what exactly it was, but the end result, let's keep our eye on the prize. No matter what it was, she's gone. Right. Whose hands did that? It was, the prosecutor will argue, your hands, and we have all the circumstances leading to you. But Last point, and we're still very preliminary on this. Um, there is no crime. There is no charge. There is no named suspect. Uh, but on that level, if, if Brian Laurie is found and he says, I ran because I couldn't take the pressure uh, and I didn't say anything to cops because um, my family lawyer told me not to and uh, I didn't do it. And where does that lead you other than the fact that he ran and that he was around her at around the time that she died. If that's all you have, is that enough? (laughs) It's plenty. So understand this. Before you can allege all those things, right, you have to what's called testify. And when you're on the stand, you'll be savage. Sir, it's fair to say that you were with Miss Lori, correct? You were traveling around together. Is that right? And you went on a country trip. Why would he testify? Because how would you you get that information out there? Oh, how would you, if you're otherwise defending him and you want to tell the jury that, oh, I ran, I could explain this, I could explain that. Someone has to explain it. Your attorney can't just give opening statements saying anything. You have to substantiate, corroborate, and explain. And the only one who could explain is him. And if he does go the route that you're suggesting to make these convenient excuses, he has to expose himself to an attorney who's going to want answers. We, Chris, can say anything we want. The sky is green. The sky is yellow. But when you get on that stand and have to explain and be subject to questioning, it becomes a whole different matter. No. Well, well said and true. Uh, Joey Jackson, appreciate you as always. Always. Thanks, Chris. All right. To something we know all too much about, the humanitarian crisis at the border. What is the Biden administration going to do? It's not enough to be horrified. It's on your watch. Okay. The problem isn't that we have CBP people on horseback. That's something that they do. How they act when they're on horseback, that's something else. But what you do about this, the rules, the resources, what is the plan? I want to bring in somebody. CBP is a very unique law enforcement. They have a connection to the people that they're policing. They have a humanity that is unusual. I've seen it many times for many years. I want to bring in the head of the National Border Patrol Council to talk about what they're up against and what would really help from the people who do the job. Next. This picture has been everywhere because it's an ugly image, but it's an ugly reality as well. And we have to be better than this. We have to be better than this for the image it sends of this country, what it means for the people who are desperate to get into this country and how we feel about them and how we take care of the men and women who keep us safe on the border. You're going to have accountability. Capitol Hill, Secretary of Homeland Security, they're going to talk. The video of Border Patrol agents using their reins to turn back hungry migrants 
has triggered an investigation. I was horrified to see the images, and we look forward to learning the facts that are adduced from the investigation, and we will take actions that those facts compel. We do not tolerate any mistreatment or abuse of a migrant, period. It's not about just that, okay? It's about the entire situation, this mass of humanity under the Del Rio Bridge in Texas. Do you know why they're there? I know there are all these conspiracy theories online about it. I'll tell you why they're here. Most of them are Haitian, okay? After the problems in that country, the assassination of the prime minister, the devastating earthquake, the Biden administration granted what's called TPS to Haitians, temporary protective status. But that ended about three weeks ago. So a lot of Haitians had left already and did leave and were in Central and South America. They were trying to get here in time for that. When it ended, people didn't make the deadline. That's why there's been this big influx. Now, what do we do about it? Let's bring in Brandon Judd, President, National Border Patrol Council uh, in Del Rio tonight. Good to see you, sir. Good evening, Chris. I want to be very clear. Uh, the image and what individual officers do, they're going to be held to account. That will be investigated. Um, But I've said it many times, and I'll say it in front of you tonight. Um, I believe that CBP officers, the men and women I've been with over decades, many times in many situations, have more of a connection to the humanity of their mission than any other law enforcement I've ever been around. Uh, So I'm not here to demonize the men and women. I'm here to plead the case that they are being victimized by the politics of this situation, that they have too much land, not enough people, bad rules, and not enough resources to take care of the people uh, that they have to hold. What's your impression? Uh, Yeah, when you look at uh, in the past, everything that Border Patrol agents have done as far as crisis to crisis, um, we have brought in our own um, resources. We've purchased diapers. We've purchased formula. We've purchased toys. We've purchased books. Uh, we have um, played with the children in our detention facilities. This is absolutely um, some of the best men and women in law enforcement. They do the best job that they can every day under circumstances that are just ca- completely catastrophic. When you look at um, 15,000 people under a bridge, that is not humane. When you look at the squalor that they're living in, that's not humane humane. When you look at the temperatures, um, everything that they're dealing with, that's not humane. And we're doing the best job that we possibly can. And at the same time, we're being given orders, which we have to do to actually enforce our laws, which is exactly what those horse patrol agents were doing. Um, you know, the images, as long as you're showing every single one of the images, I'm not saying you personally, but as long as everybody's showing every single one of the images, those images are very different from the different angles that you see. Um, so again, I think that people are jumping to conclude way too fast on what took place with those horse patrol agents. But again, if you look at the humanitarian mission that we do, we're trying to do the best that we can every single day. I hear you. And look, everybody's an individual. You whip somebody with reins, you're going to have trouble. But again, it has to be investigated. Quickly, tell me what is needed to do the job the right way that you don't have now. Well, when you look at uh, what has worked in the past, when the Biden administration came in and said that they're not going to continue with the Remain in Mexico program, um, that's fine. 
If you say that that's inhumane, that's fine, but you have to have a policy in place to deal with it. You must hold people in custody pending their asylum or deportation proceedings. If you don't do that, you reintroduce the catch and release magnet. Yeah. Once that magnet is reintroduced, you have all the people come into the United States. It is inhumane to leave people in limbo for years um, until their court court appearances. You have to do those quickly. It's The burden of proof is on those individuals to show that they have a right to be here in the United States, hold them in custody pending their hearings. And if they do have that right, then you release them into the United States. You don't release them before that. Brandon Judd, uh, this conversation is to be continued. Thank you, brother, and be well. Thank you. We'll be right back with the handoff. That's it for us tonight. I'm late getting to Don Lemon tonight. The big star, D. Lemon, with apologies. Yeah, and uh, no problem. It, those images are hard to watch. But isn't that, isn't that the whole idea um, about anything that is systemic, that it's baked into the system? Isn't that evidence that the system needs to be reformed so that people, the border agents aren't put in that position, so that people coming into this country aren't put in that position, that there's a humane way to enter the country without people having to possibly come in uh, to contact with people on horses and so on and so forth. That, that is the, that's the definition of systemic, whatever it is, systemic racism, systemic whatever. It's built into the system. The system is created or is set up in a way that it isn't fair to anyone, really. I agree. Now, look, we have... Uh, a this and that. The this is you use uh, any part of your horse or your tack the wrong way to abuse somebody. You're going to be held to account. They'll do that investigation. The that is I'm telling you, Don, I believe that politicians on both sides do not want to fix this situation. It works too well for them. Broken. The right gets to demonize what I characterize as the brown menace. Look at these people coming here to take your job and ruin your culture and dilute the whiteness and create all these voters for the left. It's too powerful for them. They don't want to fix it. On the left, they've had opportunities to fix this. Obama talked so much during the election about fixing it. He had the numbers. But they wanted to do it big and comprehensive. They wanted the fight to be able to say, look at the right. They don't want to do anything for the dreamers. They don't want to do anything for anybody. You see how resistant they are to our collective humanity? I don't humanity? know if your assessment... There's too much currency. I don't know if your assessment is... I don't know if your assessment is on that. Listen, I, politicians, yes, there's an issue with politicians. But I think the biggest roadblock has been from the right. I think there's... What is wrong with having a big um, system? What, how, did you, how did you describe it? A big over whatever... Uh, what's wrong with having that? What's wrong with... No, nothing's reforming. wrong if you can get it done. But why not? Like, here, here's an example of it. Just do the but, dreamers. But you're saying Everybody Obama had the numbers. The dreamers he, be here. But obviously Obama didn't have the numbers. He didn't because have it the... was too big. He did have the numbers, but it was too big. He How's wanted it too to do big, too much. There was too much that they wanted in it. How is and it too much res- for a humane, to, to, for someone to be humane? How is that too much? Oh, I don't think it is. But yeah. I'm saying that what was in the proposals that were put forward, you got to be small. You want to do the dreamers? Do the dreamers. Do it. The right won't do it. Why? Because they want family reunification and all these other little things that they believe are cheats to the system. So they won't just do the dreamers. Trump said he would. The right then came to him and said, be quiet. And then he shut up about it. And yeah. He just talked about the wall. But I just got to ask you, but why do you why is investing in it if it's an overhaul, a complete overhaul? 
investing in humanity. How is that ever too big? That's what I don't understand. I don't think it's too big. I don't see that as an I'm, argument. I'm happy to, for them to do it. Yeah. Look, here's what needs to change on the border. Anybody who is down there sees it this way, okay? Yes, you need your physical barriers, you need your cameras, you need your sensors, um, you need all the different various technologies to deal with the border and the integrity of the same. We were never a wall away. It was never a panacea. But it is part of an equation of barriers and ways to detect who comes across. But it's not the big problem. The big problem are the rules. What is asylum? Where do you apply for asylum? How does that process work? Who processes those claims and where? How many people? They have a budget shortfall right now. They don't have the places to keep these people. Well, that's why they need. That's why they need the money. That's why they need the big overall. So why aren't they getting I just, it? Look, I look again. Not both a political sides person. Have been in power. I don't believe in that both sides in this one. I don't like to both sides things. I think the obstructionists to what has been happening with immigration over, overall. The the obstructionists have been Republicans. Okay, so oh, you want too much. You want to. Uh, you want people to be able to come into the country in an orderly, humane way. How's that bad? That's not bad. We spend money on so many other things that are frivolous. There are rules. The what rules is, should be followed What is enforced. wrong with that? And if you're going to fix it, why piecemeal it? Why say, I'm going to take a little bit here, I'm going to take a little bit, and then take a little bit, and take a little bit? Because you can't get it done. Fix it. You can't get it done because there's one side that's being an obstructionist. One side is obstructing. That's why you can't get it done. You can get it done if people would understand we need to fix our immigration system and we need to stop complaining about our, immigra- our broken right, here's immigration system. Hang on, let me finish this thought. All right, go ahead, go ahead. You need to stop complaining about our broken immigration system if you don't want to put the things in place that are going to stop the images, stop people from coming and, be- and living under overpasses and stop talking about, oh, the migrants are coming, and blah, 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 the, the caravan or whatever. If you want to stop doing that, don't complain about it. Don't complain about it if, you're, if you stop it. If you are an obstructionist and you don't want a, a complete overhaul of our immigration system, then when things go wrong, don't complain. Shut up. I hear you. I don't disagree with that at all. I'm just saying that, you, look, you just go back and look. The Obama administration, they wanted comprehensive reform. They wanted too many things in it, they couldn't get buy-in from the other side. Now, I'm not saying what they wanted was right or wrong. Yeah. That's, that's not what matters. I'm saying they couldn't get it done even though they had numbers. Yeah. Because they didn't want to be discreet because it didn't seem like a big enough win. There'd be too many things to complain about even though they got something done. Incrementalism is an enemy of a home-run business, which is what politics is right now. It's got to be really big, and i got to win, and you got to lose. And that's why nothing gets done on this issue. The only thing I don't want to see is I don't want to see the CBP being demonized as a group. They don't deserve that. I've been with them many times. They are better than most law enforcement. If some screw up, they should be punished. Yeah, look, they've got a tough job. No one is denying that. But you cannot look away from those images. You can't look at those images and go, oh, that looks great. And people want to say it's racist to say they hearken to slavery. How do they not? Yeah. How do they not evoke look at the that images. Yeah. of a century ago of inhumanity? That's why you don't want to. Look, you don't want it. You know, as the son of immigrants, that everybody wants to come into the country, right? The folks who, who come here voluntarily, they want to come in. They want to close the door behind them, right? They want to come in, and they don't want to let the other folks in. Is that fair? Because no, it's not w- fair. Once you get in, it's also not fair about my family. Well, you know what I'm saying. I'm saying I'm just talking about. <laughs> I know. It, as, look, look. That is the story c- of this country. Yeah. Everybody uh, seems to not like how they're treated, and then they treat the people next just like it. Yep. That has been a problem here. Um, but look, that's why it's an experiment. All I'm saying is, no issue bothers me 
the way this one does. Yeah. In terms of where if you sit people in a room, they're going to agree on 80 percent of the issues that come up on it. You know, do you want ball or, you want a wall or no wall? I don't want a wall. Do you want the border protected the way we can protect it where it needs to be protected? Yes. Yeah. Okay, good. And so, it's going to take different things. Okay, fine. Do you want more police down there so they don't have to patrol 30 miles yeah. by themselves? But that yes. means you've got to hire people. That means that, you, and if you put up a wall, that, look, instead of putting up the wall, why don't you just hire more people? I'm telling I'm you, I've been saying. down there. They yeah. buy these kids diapers. Yeah, I know. Out of their own pockets. But They're still, like teachers. It's, look, it's still, but as you said, the images are terrible. What they have to suffer through is terrible. Um, and there's nuance in it, and we need to, we need to figure it out. There's something the we only need th- to work I, on. Except, I and I, I'll leave on this. I'm going. There is nuance. But there are many fixes that can be made, yeah. and they shouldn't be hard. I'm done. Thank I love you, your dilemma. You as well. This- Quality sleep is essential, and that's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. So you can choose what's right for you whenever you like. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature. Quiets their snores. Sleep Number does that. Sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on Sleep Number limited edition smart beds for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com slash awards. Only at Sleep Number stores or sleepnumber.com. I'm Dr. Sanjay Gupta, host of the Chasing Life podcast. In honor of our 10th season, we want to hear from you. Leave us a message at 470-396-0832 and tell us how you chase life. It could be used on an upcoming episode.